Hi, welcome to 10 CDs for a Penny, the show where we look through my old music magazines and talk about music and culture and stuff. With me this week is John and Nat, and we're going to be talking about Spin Magazine, April 2008, with R.E.M. on the cover. That's 2008-era R.E.M., their kind of comeback. So John's a big fan, and I wanted to have him on to talk about that. But also, we're going to get into some other cool stuff in this issue. Number one, there's these old music platforms that you've probably never even heard of. They were things that came just before Bandcamp and just before streaming exploded. So we're going to talk all about that. So join us as we explore the moment that was April 2008. Okay, here's the first thing I want to just, when you open up this issue, um, the first four ads are all corporate ads with bands. So the first ad is a Converse two-page ad with this band Foreign Islands, who I do not know. Uh, they at this point, this was 2008. They had a restart now EP, and of course, where were they from? Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. what a shock! Um, so they I feel like they appear later in the issue too. Uh, they, I feel like they appear ooh, again. I didn't notice. I didn't notice that Converse ad. Okay. But I feel like earlier today I heard of Foreign Islands for the first time. Were they? We'll in have the to see. We'll have to keep an eye out as okay. we flip through the issue. We'll go, maybe they're in the review section. So these guys, yeah, this is a pretty big deal. So this is a Converse ad. It's a two-page spread at the very start of the magazine just advertising them. So they got cash from Converse. Next page, we have MIA uh, with mm-hmm. a Mark Jacobs bag for Mark Jacobs here. Then we flip again. We've got some old Samsung phone, and it has this thing called Vcast Song ID. Yeah. I'm sure we like all knew that at the time. Is that a precursor to Spotify or something? It not is. Spotify, not. I mean, it, no, it's uh, just no, identifying. Hear a song, Or it's a precursor it. to, um, uh, what's the thing where you hold up? That's what I'm trying to... Oh, you're, you're trying to no, say... There's um, Spotify, there's so- Songza, and... You're screwing me up because now I can't think of it. I can never remember. Shazam. Shazam. Yeah, Maybe it's a, it. a precursor to Shazam. So it's, I think it's more that, yeah, it's uh, you well, hear a song, identify it, and download it. It pretty much is the exact same thing. But it also, it's this whole thing, Verizon Wireless, what's that song? Your phone knows now with Vcast song ID, and we have it with Natasha Bedingfield. She's the cover girl for this that's being advertised here. And then, I think we keep going. Is there more? I think, oh yeah, next page, uh, two pages after that, we have Ian St. P. from the Black Lips, and he is advertising a Vestel watch. I remember seeing this a a couple of times. He must have gotten, I don't know how was much. Is he the first guy, to, or is he the guy that sort of broke up the original lineup? Well, he's the first guy to leave yeah. Black Lips, yeah. Um, he was a little older, and he was just getting sick of it. But yeah. Um, getting sick of pissing his own mouth? Yeah, oh. I don't think he ever pissed in his own <laughs> mouth, but he definitely made it with Cole a bunch of times. They started phoning at him with that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so all these ads, and I'm not saying this is um, something new, but this was, I guess, really a big point in music where <coughs> you 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 could just advertise. And they, this is when everybody's losing money, the height of losing yes. money, like not selling records and like just doing corporate ads and no one cares. Well, mm-hmm. but it's also interesting because uh, like I remember, you know, kind of growing up or coming of age in the 90s. Oh, sellout. Uh, and then for me, one of the first things... 2000 2002 something like that maybe it was 2000 um uh, mogwai had a song in like a a jean ad oh yeah buffalo jeans or i don't think it was levi's might have been sure 
And it was like, oh, oh, but I mean, I'm completely skipping over the Volkswagen ads. Oh, yeah. Which was Wilco? Not, or, uh, or, yeah. Oh, it was everybody. Black so that was 1997. Yeah. And it was oh. spiritualized, stereo lab. And it was for me like the first time I saw like music I liked in like massive ad campaigns. Right. And starting from there, all of a sudden having your stuff in uh, ad campaigns seemed uh, not too bad, you know? Yeah. And then you get into, I guess, you get into the iPod ads. Right. Now, the thing I find interesting about these, and, you know, I just mentioned the iPod ads, so maybe they were kind of led into this. I would, I would think so. Is that you said that, yeah. These are artists that are not yet big. Right. Like, when you go back to those Volkswagen ads, yeah, Spiritualized and Stereolab were not household names, but they were established artists yeah. with a lot of albums and, like, solid careers. Yeah, for sure. Um. And then you get into the iPod ads, and they did tend to feature a lot of artists who were fairly new. Mm -hmm. But I'm looking at these, and I'm like, how long had Black Lips been around in 2008? Uh, well, know? I think they'd been... I think I first heard of them. The first time I saw them was 2005. That's the first time oh, I okay. ever so heard of them. Yeah. That would have been second record for them. But they were small. I was actually thinking about this when I was looking at this. I saw them open for Be Your Own Pet. Anybody remember that band? <laughs> Sounds familiar. Okay. Case it, but whatever. It doesn't matter because we all don't remember them. But I saw them. They were this fun, weird kind of, I don't know, disjointed band all over the place. But uh, Black Lips opened for them at the Horseshoe. And oh, really? there was no one there. But I saw them and immediately was like, those guys were fucking awesome. <laughs> like, immediately. Like, I was a born fan right there. Well, but the thing about these ads, and I'm wondering, I mean, maybe I'm like, making something out of nothing but like by 2008 are we past like you've gone from selling out isn't cool to selling out is okay if the brand is cool to we need to make money and yeah. now by this point it's really turned into like the brand is now attaching themselves to anyone who's the least bit cool Sure. We're a band from Brooklyn. Yeah. Here's an ad campaign. Yeah. Yeah. The black lips appear are and are instantly the coolest thing ever. As you just said from yeah. your story about seeing them for the first time, I'm sure like some ad guy was like, the black lips are cool. Yeah. So it's, you know, being, they're being sought out in a way that they weren't, or like basically anyone is being handed an ad campaign. Sure. I mean, this is a really random, this is Vestel watches. I don't even know what that is. Well, that's really. also super and high just, class. And, it, and it's just Ian St. P. He's just like the kind of like kind of side guitarist of the Black Lips, not to like yeah. diminish him in that band. But I mean, the two other guys are way more upfront being wild. He was always kind of the older guy with mystique in the back. Well, but also, and this like, is a weird brand for them. Like, they come across as not high-class gentlemen. No, not at all. And uh, this ad makes him look a little more high-class sure. than uh, you would have thought when you saw Black Lips, Black Lips Live oh, at yeah. this time. Yeah, for sure. They were pretty scumbags at this time. And that's why I love them. <laughs> But they had expensive. I watches. was trying to dance around uh, <laughs> that uh, characterization. Yeah, I'm sorry. These guys are pissing in their own mouths and puking on stage and making out with each other. And yeah, it was a big spectacle. God, I missed that bit. 
<laughs> they, I saw them more than anyone else in the 2000s. I wouldn't be surprised if you opened up like Sports Ooh. Illustrated and there was on the second page or f- fifth page a Vestal watch ad with whoever the equivalent sports star is. Like I pictured some marketing campaign director at Vestal who's just got all of the spokespeople they can afford and all of the magazines that they are intending to target and then just matching things. Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's just sort of an exercise. Sure. And I, I know we're all we're all searching for that specific uh specific <laughs> cool who is, athlete yeah, who's not a superstar but who's just like cool. I know. And none of us are gonna I, <laughs> Come up with That's it. why I was silent for like two minutes because I was trying to think of an athlete in 2008 who wasn't like top tier. I was like, I'm not going to. I'm well, <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? Literally the next page on the other side of uh, this watch ad is a Gillette Fusion Power ad with Tiger Woods, yeah. Roger Federer, and a third guy I do not recognize. I was trying to Roger figure out. Which is funny because two of those guys are like still almost going strong sort of. Yeah. Like. That guy I don't know, but I'm just, I'm guessing, I'm guessing it could be football or it could be baseball. It can't be basketball. No, it's not baseball. And okay, yeah, you're he's right. Not, he's not basketball. Because he's not tall enough because he's standing beside <laughs> those two shorties. So I follow <laughs> baseball enough. No, you know what? You know what? The fact that they've got Roger be, Federer. Yeah, you're probably right back? about soccer. <laughs> soccer? Or football? Mm, maybe. Wow. You need to edit this part. I was going to like, here's the music nerds. <laughs> oh, no, you don't need to edit this. Like, we're <laughs> trying to figure out, but it doesn't matter. Anyways, the reason we're on this page anyways is because right after that, we get to the uh, president's letter. Oh, yeah. And uh, this president's letter, 2008, is about... Their new website. Oh, yeah. I read this. Now, (laughs) this is, uh, well, I found it really amusing because uh, keep in mind, okay, I'm just going to read the, I'm just going to read bits of it. Okay, sure. Uh, While thriving as a music magazine in 2008 is certainly not without its unique challenges, these challenges can also lead to exciting opportunities that stand to revolutionize the way people look at spin even the way we look at spin launched in January as a collaboration between this magazine and MySpace. Yes. Spin digital, something, 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 yada, yada, yada. So it's 2008 Uh and MySpace. Uh Uh-huh. So the funny thing is, so I saw this and then way, way, way later on in the issue on about page 79 is an ad for Uh MySpace.com, a place for music. Yes. Your music MySpace, music.myspace.com. So I know that uh, for me, MySpace, very 2006. Sure. I joined Facebook early 2007 because that was, I believe, the beginning of 2007 was when they opened it up to the general public. Yeah. And one year later, MySpace was already like, okay, uh, music, music. Oh, yeah. We we got something. dumped so fast. Well, it's funny because the next sentence in the president's letter is something feeding off the energy of spins, music enthusiasts, and MySpace's vast social network. Yes. Oh, man. MySpace, not to get into MySpace, but like it was was really a better platform for actually meeting people who weren't your friends. Facebook just became this incredible novelty because 
everybody was using MySpace. I mean, like that was like your its own internet at the time. And then Facebook happened, and Facebook was such a quick novelty where all of a sudden people you hadn't talked to in 15 years just sprung out of the woodwork and added you. And you're like, oh, that guy, that's so cool. <laughs> and that was enough to make me forget about MySpace somehow, yeah. even though it was a way more fun platform. Yeah, it was fun. And but I remember, I mean, I remember looking at my uh, Facebook for the first time and just being like, oh, this just looks so much more pleasant. Yeah. Because MySpace, you could um, customize your yeah, profile. And that nice. just led to sometimes you looked at things. And when you're like 26 and you're trying to get to know people, you're like, this is fun. Yeah. But then after your year, you're like, Ugh. and then at the same time, um, a couple of friends uh we're like starting to post photos yeah and just looking at photos on like looking at photo albums on facebook was immediately way better than uh myspace yeah so I, I kind of dropped it like a rock i know and i look back at myspace is literally the hot topic version of facebook <laughs> that's yeah that's that's is. a pretty good way of putting it now it's, the other thing it's is halfway between it's halfway between geocities and facebook <laughs> Um, but the other thing is, is that, uh, you know, so here's the beginnings of, well, either well, I guess the beginnings of them really trying to push them as a platform for music. Yeah. And here in 2019, several months ago, um, there was a thing where they announced that they had lost like a huge swath of music data. Okay. In a server migration. Uh -huh. Now like, I think a couple weeks later it was, was announced say, they did find they did manage to restore it or something. Are you talking about MySpace? Oh yeah, MySpace. I was gonna say to which everybody replied, MySpace, MySpace? is still a thing. <laughs> like they lost their music. Who gives a shit? Now I was <laughs> like, about to say that I am pretty confident that I heard because I was gonna say, whoa, MySpace, that's actually topical because they were just in the news. But I thought that they had announced that they were officially just deleting uh the music that was Oh saved no, there. it wasn't on purpose. Oh really? Oh no 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 no! Who could <laughs> it was possibly it was still been using MySpace? I mean, they really. I remember that switch. Well, and everybody was trying to do that, and then they just didn't see Bandcamp coming. Bandcamp just came in, made a very simple platform, and just like wiped them out. Well, now that you've brought up Bandcamp, I was gonna wait. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. We don't have Bang. to. Okay. Well, no. We might as well just. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's not too far. Okay, page forty-two, hitting the jackpot. Entrepreneurs are hungry for the killer app that will revolutionize and monetize uh, music on the internet. Going to this one. Coleman okay. Strumpf, professor of economics at the University of Kansas School of Business, analyzes the business plans of four hopefuls. So these are the four hopefuls. Okay. <laughs> Amy Street. Uh-huh. Sella Band. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. I really just got how terrible a name that is. Sella Band. <laughs> oh, wow. Strayform. And our stage. Now, Bandcamp, not among them. Mm. Bandcamp was founded in 2008. Now, I don't know what month, but this was like... It, it's just sort of funny because when I saw this article, I immediately thought, where's Bandcamp? And when uh, did Bandcamp exist at this time? And it's funny how, you know, it may very well have gone up either... Well, it probably, when this was written, if this is the April issue, this was probably written a couple of months before. So immediately after it was written, typeset, published, got into people's hands, it was Im almost immediately obsolete because the one that would work, the one website that is still going strong 
yeah would launch and i had never even i at the time like like i remember i think i bought my first album off of bandcamp in like 2009 uh-huh. or 2010 oh, wow. that's a long time ago and but i've never heard of any of these no like these never went anywhere i what? never heard of any i read the exact same article and i was like i don't know what any of that is but what? it was the fun like precursor you see like it was really funny. Of course, they put this in this issue. They literally just said, we're merging with MySpace to do this exciting thing. Then page 42, they put all of these new things that are apparently going to take over. And it's just like anything. It's just like Friendster or Hipstagrams. There's a bunch of different things. And then one guy just gets to take it. So that was Bandcamp. I just looked them up on Wikipedia. Bandcamp, all it says is 2008. Yeah, that's so what it I must saw have been. too. Yeah, just this year. It must have just happened or like very shortly after. They were probably building it. They like probably were looking. Yeah, like exactly. They probably got the idea from this almost. <laughs> like, Can't believe you just mentioned hips. Oh, yes, I did. But wasn't it hipstamatic, I think? I think it, it was, was hipstamatic, but you said, you said hipstagram, which I found delightful. <laughs> I thought <laughs> it was hipstagram. Mistake. No, no I, I it totally thought it was. No, I thought it was hipstamatic. Yeah. Are you sure? Because oh, I remember wow. I had to like choose which I still which have, I have it on my for. phone, I think. You do? No. How is that possible? <laughs> I guess when I got my phone, I started uh, installing every single photo app, and it still exists. Hipstamatic. Wow. Wow. Those it was because they were released at the people. same time when they were neck and neck for like a month, and because <laughs> uh, I actually bought yeah. like for two dollars the hipstamatic. You paid money. for I that? think I did. I, did and I was too. like, oh I wonder which one of these will uh, will come out ahead. The free one. <laughs> That's really yeah, funny. I always just remembered it as hipstagram because I thought like there was some sort of gram. There was some sort of algorithm, something that I didn't know that they were just like naming these photo apps after. But it's hipstamatic, so it doesn't matter. In terms of like two products that are almost exactly the same being released at almost the exact same time, can you think of like such a clobbering? <laughs> like where one just completely oh. destroys the other right yeah. out of the gates immediately? Just greatest guy in the world. Never heard of him. Just <laughs> billionaire. Just wallowing in your own film. I guess Facebook bought them, which is probably what well, yeah, sort they of bought them for a billion them. dollars. Yeah. Well, they were already pretty big. No, they were already big before that. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I wanted to just... So actually, these four sites, I did want to read the bits about how they work because sure. it's interesting comparing them to Bandcamp. And I didn't go through all this earlier. So, uh, okay, so Amy Street says, Pure Intention DIY artists upload their music, which is initially offered for free, but once they become popular, the site does their selling out for them. As downloads increase, the MP3s get more expensive, maxing out at 98 cents per track. Hmm. Now, I mean, as the economist they're talking to says that it's a weird model to... He's like, I'd never recommend this because if it gets popular, it's no longer... Like if you say, if you say to a buddy, like, hey, check out this site and it's getting popular, then it's no longer free. They'll, mm. you know. So it sort of um, kind of rewards the people who are there first, yep. but then the followers kind of get screwed by the having to pay for it. Also telling so. your friend, yeah, I bought this for 12 cents. Yeah, <laughs> and then they go on. on what are you talking about, man? It's 73 cents now. I'm not doing this. <laughs> that would be me. So, okay. <laughs> In principle, I'm not buying this MP3 because of the 50 cent difference. <laughs> So Celaband, <laughs> Celaband. So bad. It sounds like cellophane. It just sounds like plastic <laughs> wrap. If you enjoy venture capitalism but hate making money, Celaband.com could be just the thing. Okay, <laughs> so bands post demos and solicit $10 donations from fans. 
Once they've raised $50,000, the site hires a producer who isn't Timbaland and sends them into the studio. All profits are split between the site, the musicians, and their investors. I don't even read what The Economist has said, uh, but that just sounds way too complicated. So it complicated. And also, is. it's starting at like $10. Uh, so, I, that literally just made me think of the battle the bands that you know we all did in high school where the that stupid company came I to never town. won. No, but it was like how many tickets you sell. It literally was just this big for-profit organization baiting teenagers oh, to no, sell tickets yeah. to go and pretty much whoever sold the most tickets got some crappy little recording deal or like, yeah. you know, got a day at a recording studio. Yeah, that, that one, that sell event <laughs> is so convoluted. Yeah. It just would not work on the in, like in the internet so let's see stray form in 18th century vienna art patronage could buy you a mozart symphony on strayform.com it can help fund a song by rhode island based singer uh, bob ricci about mastering photoshop what anyways artists submit proposals fans donate money and in return can get a production credit or have their name mentioned in the lyrics. Okay, now this is one's interesting because this sounds like Kickstarter. Okay. Mm. Yeah, like incentives. Like it's based. Like at first I was thinking maybe Patreon. Yeah. But no, by the end it sounds like because it says artists submit proposals, fans donate money, yeah. in return get a production credit. Sure. Well, that's pretty much what Kickstarter is. Somebody right. going on and saying, "I want to do X. Give me money." Yeah. All and of if these... you give me money, you'll get X in return. Again, all of these just sound like these, yeah, very complicated and not not super complicated, but just kind of you, you, everything has, doesn't even compare to Bandcamp. It's just the well, most but I'm gonna get to that. Down. Let's get through those. Okay, sure, like, sure. Yeah, well, that's why I'm doing this. But Strayform, so far, I find the most interesting because I remember Strayform. I remember that. Oh, name. you do. I do remember that name. So I find it the most interesting because it sounds like it's basically Kickstarter, but it. I, I assume it must have been restricted to music. Right. Which was probably the problem, whereas um, Kickstarter just opened for basically anything, I sure. think. I don't know if it had any restrictions when it started. I mean, I'm, the first Kickstarter I ever did was a film. So, right. But there's been a, lots of books, games, everything. So uh, that was probably an advantage in Kickstarter's favor that it was very kind of open in terms of what was being Kickstarted. Whereas if this was just sure. music, it was probably too niche. It's, I, it's possible, but maybe it could have worked in their favor. Whereas Kickstarter would be again, like a little too broad and you were just trying to put your stuff on. So maybe I think it's kind of 50, well, 50. No, with, but I'm also opinion. saying that Strayform doesn't exist and Kickstarter. Yeah. Was a smashing <laughs> success. Oh, there so I'm trying to read through these things and then we'll compare them to the smashing successes. that okay. are kind of the same. I do want to see what the economist said about this one. Uh, he says, there's a non-egalitarian sense to it. You're disproportionately rewarding people who pony up the most money. And the lack of immediacy makes me skeptical. That last line is hilarious um, when it comes to Kickstarter. The lack yeah. of immediacy makes me spe skeptical. Okay. Now I'm going to turn to you, Jackson, because I feel like you were just talking about Kickstarter the other day. Was I? What was I saying? Weren't you saying that there was something you... Um, oh, yeah, that I messed you, it you, in that just never came to fruition? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my walk-on set for my Devo documentary? <laughs> <laughs> I think I gave them 40 bucks, and then they just kept sending me emails saying, we've run into problems, and then the emails just stopped. And I was like, wait a minute, do I get my 40 bucks back? Is this ever going <laughs> to... 
happened. And I mean, as I said, the first thing I kickstarted was a film, which was like a year later. It was like, oh, the film's done. It was really good. And I, you know, went to the premiere. But like, that is interesting because I, I, you know, I reckon, like, I, I thought this sounded like Kickstarter. And he immediately recognized one of the big problems with Kickstarter, which is people going, where's my stuff? Sure. But, yeah. Okay. So last but not least, our stage. Um, how does it work? On an internet full of Sanjayas, Kelly Clarkson's can be hard to find. Our oh, stage true. simplifies the process with an American Idol-style voting competition in which visitors rank artists' songs and decide who wins a monthly $5,000 prize. Mm. That just sounds kind of dumb. It just so, does. So optimistic on the people who yeah. came up with it. It's like, I can just picture the all of America voting on this. It's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. So buddy. every single one of these, I have to say, and I'll just take a, tell a quick story. I went to this thing uh, uh, that was advertised for writers. They needed writers, this, this conference. So they were like, come check this out. We've got this new site idea. We need music writers. So I went to do it. And the idea was that they had this site where you would pay to just, it was essentially Wikipedia. And you would just pay to like get to like, um, read all this really in-depth uh, writing about artists, like really big artists, like Led Zeppelin or Foo Fighters, something like that. And this guy had this idea that like people would actually pay for this. Like if mm. they were really into the artist, they would actually pay a subscription to just keep writing. And we'd have to get like really in-depth writers who did like incredible research on like really niche things about these bands and put them on. And so I immediately was just like, number one, no, they're not going to. Number two, these are gigantic artists. There's already a million things written about them. And number three, I'm looking at this guy going, I can tell you are not a music fan. You are some tech guy who's kind of just a dork and you don't get music and you're just trying to come up with some stupid idea. And that's literally what I looked at with all of those. I didn't see any musicians like thought put into any of those sites. It seemed like some tech person's idea that yeah. wasn't really catered to musicians. Well, okay, so this la this our stage one. So e each of these there's like a how does it work? Uh is it working and the economist says, I've been skipping the is it workings because obviously it didn't work out in the <laughs> end, but I do want to read the is it working for our stage. Uh-huh. Is it working? Since launching last April, the site has given away more than $250,000, but hasn't discovered any next big things. Okay. Still, October's first place winner was a scrappy singer-songwriter named Jason Schwartzman, and he seems to be doing pretty well for himself. Is that... There you go. What? <laughs> like <laughs> Jason Schwartzman? <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly... What? <laughs> so, you're bragging that the guy who already has a career yeah. <laughs> got a career. And number two, Jason fucking Schwartzman under dance. Why? <laughs> like, it must have been a joke or so. Or they, they, must, have been, they must have been paying him to, like, uh, maybe some investors or something. But anyway, okay. so... Not to say that Jason Schwartzman, if there is one musician I can actually pick out of the top of my head right now that's actually a good actor slash musician, it's Jason Oh, yeah, Schwartzman. for sure. I like, really like his music. Yeah. But, but that's still, that's point. kind of absurd. Um, so as you were saying, like, I, I'm reading all those, and now I'm thinking, like, as I'm reading them, I'm, I'm comparing them all to Bandcamp. And, you know, when I first um, ran, uh, came across Bandcamp, you know, this was, I mean, this is all post in Rainbows, which was the, like, pay what you can Oh, thing. yeah, yeah. 
And I'm pretty certain that the first, um, the Bandcamp from the start, or at least the first time I saw it, had a kind of choose your price thing. And they still yeah, do that. I'm pretty sure. And that, it's sort of, it's kind of funny that like Bandcamp, the company that has now been around for 10 years and seems to be going pretty strong, like they basically, well, they probably just looked at the Aim Rainbows release and were like, oh, let's just do that for mm -hmm. anyone. Let's yeah. just make a thing where anyone can do that. And I, as a consumer, came across it and was like, oh, like, and, and they included free streaming. So you could just listen to a record and then be like, oh, if I want that, because this was 2008. So if you wanted to listen to it on your iPod, you had to buy it. And I could just be like, oh, I'll just put in five bucks or seven bucks or whatever. And that was my, and then I was like, oh, this is a good website. Yeah. And I'm sure I wasn't, I mean, the fact that they've been around for this long probably shows that I wasn't the only person who did that. That the first time there were other people who had the same experience I did, which was the first time you encountered Bandcamp, you were like, yes, I will give you money. But it's sure. funny that like, like they were probably inspired by In Rainbows, and that idea is not here. No, mm, it is yeah. not in that article at all. It's the most simple one. <clears throat> exactly, but that's the thing. It's the it is. It's the most simple, stripped down idea. So that's why I think it works. Every one of these was way too much of a boardroom thinking up. Okay, someone had an idea, and then let's like keep rolling with it and keep like brainstorming it and coming up with the, all these ideas is really kind of like, you know, not overly complicated, but still complicated kind of like really niche idea. Bandcamp is literally record your music, upload it. Yeah. That's period. That's it. And then it's there and then it's out in the world and that's all well, it is. No, but and it's, well, it's I was just that because it's also the well, whole, like there is an opportunity to buy it. Sure. And I thought about it in that one of those sites was like, Oh, you know, the, the uh, fan donations start at like ten dollars, uh -huh. and and it, that was one of the things that made me think about Bandcamp and the brilliance of like, well, there wasn't really like bands could say could set a minimum, but some of them didn't, and so you could just pay anything. You could pay one dollar. So yeah. like the first time you came across it, there wasn't like a minimum payment. But I think, yeah, I mean like the whole thing about it too. Just to look at other websites is that it's just let's just make it and then we'll figure out what to how to make money with it later. It's you know like we'll figure that out as we go along. We'll figure out how to like you know our artists can benefit more and how we'll benefit. I mean that's like you know to use the biggest examples Facebook and Twitter. We just made them and they just we'll figure out how to make money later and they did. And I'm sure Bandcamp is making money now. I don't exactly know what their offices are like or how they they make their money, but they did make money. They just put out something cool that serviced artists, and then we'll figure it out later. And they did. Well, the other thing, too, is that I know, you know, my first impression of it was that it did seem like it was built by music fans. I think so, too. And I do wonder, you know, like, not to cast aspersions on spin, but, like, you know, I this article doesn't say who's behind these. Because some of these ideas sound like a record label would be behind them. Like, as you said, yeah, yeah, you alluded no, to, right. they sound yeah. kind of like conventional thinking. Sure. They sound so, um, you know, and you were saying about how none of them sound like their mu ideas coming from music fans, whereas Bandcamp did seem that way. Right. Um, 
interesting thing, uh, or if we want to segue back, uh, uh, SoundCloud founded August 2007. Mm. 11 years ago so not mentioned in the spin how well, did they exactly miss that? So, well but that was the thing it's like i'm trying to think about you know oh, what, re- remember the first time there? like that was already are you talking about like these are just a, these are the things they were talking about no 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 well i think he just means it's just not in there anyway oh okay so like uh, but i'm trying to think I, mean, I can't remember the first time i listened to something on soundcloud um I so how that. long did it take to um kind of get kind of mainstream well as mainstream as it got but either way i guess it's sort of like once again you know going through these old magazines i mean i've always gotten a kick out of like especially anything from 99 onwards is like you know we did an issue and i was very tickled by an mp3.com like a sponsored (laughs) tour and just seeing you know um seeing what sort of technologies or companies just never went anywhere, came and went. And, you know, as this issue is being written and they're talking, they're partnering with MySpace. They've got this article about all these other companies. Meanwhile, you know, we've already talked about how Bandcamp was either about to be released or was being worked on. And SoundCloud was probably up at this time. Yep. And they were like, what's a SoundCloud? Yeah. And on that note, Spin squeezed out about three more years of print before they called yeah. it quits, too. So yeah. they were they were really... They, I mean, it's not them. It was everybody. Everybody oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to single out Spin. No, no, me like, neither. Hey, I mean, like, I love this magazine. They're a dynasty. But, I mean, it just... It's it's the way of the world. This is what everything went to. It's, it's all online now. Like, I mean, you can't possibly keep up. And so we talk about this, like... These were monthly issues that you were just like you when you didn't have the internet, you were diving in and you could like spend a month with this. But now it's every single hour. So how yeah, I don't up? I don't hold it against spin for no. like missing any of this stuff. It's no, trying to no. I mean we have all they we, tried have, their we have all the benefit of hindsight at yeah. this point. So we've been doing mainly nineties issues. We've been so doing far. we've been back and forth. Okay. We've been nineties and two thousands. because so, when I was looking at this one, I was getting like really excited about some of the bands I've seen get mentioned because it really took me back 2008 was a really fun year uh-huh. and, uh, like you know a couple of years before and after um where the blogs were like really helpful and there was even yeah that's true there was this like was stereo gum and um gorilla versus bear which i still refer to a lot uh-huh. and then there was like this was it it was around then i'm sure it was because it was right. like the first one i got really it didn't stereo gum i got into at the same time uh-huh and I am sure it was that far up back. I was just finishing my undergrad at the time because it was the office I worked at where I was getting really into uh, all the, the blog. <laughs> really rock. into not working <laughs> and <laughs> blogging. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um, so some of the names that were getting mentioned, and I was like, oh, man, this was like... And I'm not saying it was because of blogs, but it's just sort of like galvanized everything and brought it together. There was even this, like, at one point, there's this um, series of blogs sort of coalesced into this thing called, I think it was called Altered Zones, and it was sort of championed oh, yeah. by Pitchfork. Yeah, and yeah. it was awesome. But then I, if you go to, I'm sure it's still posted. If you go to it, it's, there's like this big um, statement that they posted about how it came together for a short amount of time because it represented all this separate work that, that was being done, and they were trying to channel it. But that sort of the time has come and gone, and now it is 
closing down. They're not going to pursue the project. And I'm <laughs> so disappointed because that was an amazing blog too. Anyway, some of the ones that were mentioned that I haven't thought of in a long time, and these were big names. And they were fun bands too. So uh, White Denim, I don't know if you heard of those yeah, guys. Yeah, but they well, were I mean, like yeah. They were, they're featured in the... Uh they were kind of featured at the start of the like there was there's some there's some like bigger spreads on people and then they were like and these guys yeah they were really solid but yeah. you know they never quite made it past sure. that level but they're still a really good band uh, tapes and tapes I hate that band <laughs> I hate them. but they are like maybe the penultimate uh, blog band oh god they were horrible this one called uh, someone <laughs> still loves you Boris Yeltsin did you guys remember them mm. I think I remember that name I don't know. Okay. They were, f I think I must have seen them in Toronto or something, but, uh, and then fuck buttons. Yeah. <laughs> fuck buttons. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I was, when I was going through this issue and I went through the reviews and I saw fuck buttons and went, wait a second. And I, I didn't even go into iTunes. I stood up and went to my CD collection and found their first, yeah. I can't even say record. Like. And and then I booked in iTunes and was like, oh, I have that. I put it on. I have not. I had not listened to it in uh, like ten years. But I was like, I have that. Yeah. I remember them. I've got their follow up uh, on on vinyl. They really have like they have one amazing track, but it's kind of all you really need. It kind of says everything about everything they do. But it's amazing i could listen to it over and over it's uh -huh. extremely abrasive and but yeah they were like in this issue they were the band that i saw that i was like oh my god i do remember these guys it's really I funny did listen to them like john did we talk about them like a, a week ago or something no okay it was someone else <laughs> it's really funny that we bring this up because someone else brought up fuck buttons and i was like oh my god yeah these guys and then Someone was like really pushing them to me. I can't remember who it was. And then I like looked them back up and I was like, that's what they were. I totally yeah. forgot about these dudes. I saw them at the horseshoe and they had a reputation for being extremely loud. Uh-huh. And everybody I went with as we were leaving would be like, what a bunch of assholes. <laughs> Why were they so unnecessarily loud? Everybody oh, okay. was complaining the next day about yeah. like ringing in their ears. Sure. It's like, I hate that gimmick. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's true. We're the loudest band. I mean, that but that was that was only good, like honestly. 30, 40 years ago, like when they were like somewhat like the Ramones were like extremely loud or my bloody Valentine were extremely loud. Now it's like, that's been done. Now you don't have to just be allowed. Just be good. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting that you mentioned all the blogs and everything though, because like, I mean, I guess 2008, like I was just thinking about pitchfork and that's re probably close to or around the start of them becoming like mainstream. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, you could argue now that they've sort of taken over. Like, there's much a mainstream music publication, if not more so than Spin or Rolling Stone. Yeah, practically these days. And like, sure. So this is 2008. Yeah, they started doing the music festival in 2006. So they had just started. You know, they were just started being more than just, you know, like a music blog, effectively. Um, and they had started, I think at this time, you know, by this time they were covering a lot more pop, um, which I think we talked about previously. Mm. And, uh, so, you know, you mentioned that spin as a like paper magazine wouldn't last too much longer. And yeah. you're mentioning these blogs mm -hmm. and 2008 is probably around the time where the tide really started to turn for, you know, music yeah. journal, like 
I don't want to say journalism, but no, just print, yeah. Um, or, or at least what it was. I mean, like how many people are even Pitchfork? They still do long feature articles. Like how many people are really reading those? Well, I mean, no, I'm not saying that it's like journalism. No, I'm just saying the sort of print versus the old like the old print guard of like yeah. Rolling like Rolling Stone spin. Um, and Pitchfork does a lot press? of like crossover articles and stuff where they're like cross promoting things. So yeah. like even though I, I like Pitchfork, Spin maybe t- is like trying to talk like a teenager a little bit much, whereas I never really see that in Pitchfork. Pitchfork sort of treated it as sort of a uh, a new a music news sure. and review site as opposed well, to well, like I would pandering. have to disagree about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I think there's both. I, I, I think I they have. have I think there's maturity. <laughs> but anyway, on, like, but that's in, talking in about both. Pitchfork now. Like, but that's. But that proves my point, just that, like, Pitchfork has kind of become... Like, okay, I was thinking of videos, uh, like, the, some of the videos they produce and things like the... Um, like, they'll just have uh, one of the Gallagher brothers on just saying, what do you think about this? Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Over-under. Yeah, yeah, those yeah. are over-under segments. Like, those aren't. Like, that's they're just funny. No they're funny, but there, that's yeah. what I mean. But that's... That's for me. That's an example of how they have become like a mainstream publication. Mm. So, anyways, I was just trying to say that this is kind of the time when it started shit. When like, like there's a reference. Uh, I mean, we'll come across it at some point probably, but like, um, there is an article um, talking about blogs or something, and a guy's talking about trying to compete with Brooklyn Vegan. Yeah, for like who yeah. gets their stuff up first, and oh, now Brooklyn yeah, Vegan yeah. is like yeah. still here and like is a pretty big blog. Sure. So, are they? I think so. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I never got into them, so I never really followed them because I think the reason I did, I, didn't I did for a while, but then you know, I kind well, they're of, still pretty. When I say big blog, like I think they're fairly big, but in the blogosphere, yeah, yeah exactly but, for a blog. But I think they're relative. still pretty New York uh, focused. Yes, sure. They're not like a national publication if like Pitchfork is. I remember yeah. correctly, the reason I the only reason I didn't get more into them was because the f- way they uploaded MP3s didn't allow you to press play on one and have it just go through the whole site. That's literally the only reason I didn't. And that's what <laughs> made me like the ones I liked so much because I would just listen to it at work and I had like maybe 4 I was following press play on the first one and every day maybe they posted four songs so between the four I was following there's 16 tracks I had to listen to that day and if I liked something I just right clicked on it went saved to my desktop it was all free and legal and it was I found so much great music that way but then the um, Brooklyn Vegan wasn't either they weren't posting mp3s or they weren't posting them in the same simple way where I could just grab and I was like ah and I, I just never got into that for that reason but it was so much about format and uh, the format was so, it just fell into place so nicely on these other blogs but, I was following. But even that goes back to what we were talking about, about Bandcamp and the others, that it's like you as the user, you yes, wanted exactly. you just wanted to just be able to press play, listen exactly. to a bunch of music you hadn't heard before, be able to save it yeah. and go it back so to perfect. it. I loved yeah. it. Uh, it was a real golden age. And it's exactly as the user experience was so good. Uh, I really, <laughs> I also love Spotify, but yeah. it's different. Can I, uh, I just want to tell one more, I just want to say one thing about that tapes and tapes. So <laughs> this like, works so perfectly because I really couldn't stand that band. And that there, there was a, there was, yeah, it's true. There was a handful of bands at that time that were just like pushed so heavily by blogs and like people, this was a whole thing at that time was, um, people were, were getting 
like their music out so fast and then by the time they actually got to like an album people were already over them like that was like how the internet was working mm -hmm. and tapes and tapes for these blog darlings and i heard their record and i was so i heard the record because i was working for a website at the time i was writing for a blog i got the tapes and tapes record and i think yeah they were on sub pop i think something like that uh i'm pretty sure like beggars or something like that was uh distributing them and <laughs> i wrote the review i hated them and i really like tried to be as objective as possible but i pretty much said like there's really no substance here or whatever i said i didn't really like them and the guy who was running the label, who was like the label rep in Toronto, I sent the thing over to the blog, and then the blog came back to me and said, he really hates that you like panned this band, and he said, I can't believe he went against what Pitchfork said. Wow, is that a quote? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> so uh, is this the beginning of this uh, podcast feud with uh, tapes and tapes? We invite tapes and tapes <laughs> to come you just, back is at this, us. Uh, do we need a new segment called uh, Airing of the Grievances? Yes. <laughs> come on, tapes and tapes. I know Where you're... we throw out down challenges yeah. to fans that, like, we, if you don't come to Toronto, you're a <laughs> coward. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you can get time off from your management job at Urban Outfitters... Cutting wrestling-style promos. <laughs> Okay, I want to move on now, and I want to talk about the cover story on REM. 2008 REM. John, what did you think of this article? It's a fine article. It's a fine <laughs> article? No, it's, it's kind of interesting because, um, like, REM, their sort of, you know, their last decade was, like, they were never as big. Like, they were still well-respected and well-loved, but they yeah. never had... Um, like a great album. And when I say great, I just mean not in a personal taste, but, you know, when you're a band that goes through that sort of green out of time, automatic for the people kind of monster yep. sort of sequence mm -hmm. where like critics and audiences alike are like, oh, this is so good. Oh, this is the best ever. Oh, this is the best ever. And I, that might sound sarcastic, but they sure. were really good. Yeah. Um, that that kind of ended and they were still one of the biggest bands in the world, but yes. their albums weren't as weren't celebrated when they were released. No. So, so how many, yeah. sorry, before we go forward, how many, uh, what was their string of classic albums? Would you say in your, well, it kind of depends. I started with green, uh, but really you can kind of go about, some people would include document in that, which is before green. Um, yeah. I mean, I, if you ask me now, New Adventures of uh, in Hi-Fi from 96 is better than Monster. Yeah. Um, I mean, I figured we'd get to this eventually. I don't think Monster's aged very well. Okay. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, Let's not get into that yet. Let's yeah, because it kind of relates to this, this album and this article. Um, but generally, the agreed upon thing is probably green out of time, automatic for the people. Monster was a huge album at the time, but uh, I don't know. Just because uh, it was anticipated? I mean, it had really yeah. big songs on it. Oh, yeah. Um, it was hugely. And yeah, it was a big hit. It was like, it's a good album, but. Yeah. Um, but then New Adventures and Hi-Fi, like, it's a good album, but it wasn't really big. I mean, I don't no. think. Um, I think it sold fine, sold really well, but it's not. Like, have you, either of you ever listened to it? Yeah, and I was going to say, yeah, do you think Nat there's... Yeah, is nodding his head. I have. I listened to it when I was young. I mean, that was 1996. Yeah. It, do you think, just quickly, do you think there's an argument for 
Bill Barry leaving that it them falling apart at all? I a don't bit? Like, think so. I, I I think that's too kind of simplistic a narrative, and like I. You know, in preparation for this, I listened to Accelerate, which is the album they're promoting. Yeah. And there's a very real possibility I hadn't listened to it before. Or if I had, oh, really? if, if I had, it would have been for, I hadn't listened to it for a very long time. Okay. And it's a fine album, but it uh-huh. got me thinking when I was listening to it that it was like, you know, what, like, what's this REM's, what is REM's best mode? And what was their, what was the chances it was kind of, be sustainable like the thrust of this article is that like it's literally called uh re born reborn right so um and a lot of it is like well because uh around the sun in 2004 uh, was not really well received it, and even well the, the yeah from this article yeah they said that it was pretty much panned it and, and fans and critics alike didn't like it. Yeah, and the band isn't really that proud of it either. No. Or at least <laughs> people in the band are. Yeah, it's dark. It's so there's a lot of like, well, you know, we got to get back to basics. And there's a lot of talk about how, you know, they were spending a lot of time in the studio making the previous record. And like this time around, like Peter Buck was pushing them to kind of do something more like quicker, more spontaneous. And sure. there's a lot of talk about how it's like, well, there's raw guitars on it and there right. is a lot of distortion, uh-huh. but REM's attempts at being kind of badass rock yeah. is the REM that I think has aged the least well. Uh, okay. So they were never, they were never like if you think of the best REM songs, uh-huh. you don't think of badass rock songs. No, but I mean, what do you Definitely consider not. a badass rock song by them? Well, but just like some of the stuff, oh, I can't even think like of this accelerate. Right or, sorry, like, um, but like, like okay, when I listen to accelerate, like there's lots of distortion, but it isn't. It doesn't feel like in your face. It doesn't feel like a punk record. Like it kind of feels like it's too well produced or something or okay. like. You know, it's not noisy, and it so like they promote this as if they've become like if they're like oh you know there's like loud guitars on it. The guitars uh-huh. aren't loud; right. they're distorted, but they're sure. not loud. Um, and the songs are still good. Yeah, but I listened to some of them, being like, this would probably be just as good without distortion on the mm-hmm. guitar, or this might be just as good with an acoustic guitar. Well, I feel like they were always a very stripped down band, and like I can't really speak to you know what these things were like. Adventures in Hi-Fi kind of took a uh, a left turn for them, I feel, and then this like Around the Sun uh, album, like people really didn't like it, and the talk about in this in this article about how they recorded these or how they were doing recordings where they were just like going in for eight months and just fucking around pretty much. And Peter Buck pretty much saying it was driving him crazy. Like he hated that. And this was like a, like, let's just get back to like basic songwriting, go in record. And, but I mean, REM have always had this sound that the, like, I think that they've, uh, it's always been like Peter Buck, just like big, rich chords. So I found that on this record, but I feel like they maybe strayed from that in the other ones. And this one was just back to basics, like these big REM chords that he always does. Well, yeah, but it's also not always big chords. Like that's not, I wouldn't really agree with that assessment. No? Like 
even the 80s stuff where it was basic guitar, bass, vocals, drums, uh-huh. it was more of a jangly guitar thing. Yes. And, you know, when I kind of read this article, I just got to, and, and, like, thinking about, you know, some of their um, turn-of-the-century stuff. They are talking about, like, well, we spent too, too much time in the studio and stuff. I just got to thinking about, like, it's not really surprising because... They were a band that didn't really like sitting still in a way. Uh-huh. Like, especially when you come out of the 80s and you go into, like, Out of Time, Automatic for the People being a huge example of this. Yeah. Where they're like, you know what? We're going to do something really different. Mm-hmm. And, like, he didn't pick up an electric guitar for that album. I mean, there is some on it, but Which? it's very rare. Automatic for the People. There's there, not electric. No, no, there is some. There oh. is some, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's rarer. Like, obviously, it starts, like, you know... Like the first song on that album has an electric guitar, but it doesn't come in. Everybody hurts has it. Uh, true, true, but it's not. Sorry, I'm trying to say like a big rock guitar. I see what you mean. Yes. Whereas everybody hurts. It's yeah. I think it's an electric guitar, but it's not. You know, it might not be like it could be like a weird keyboard or something. You know what I mean? Like it's. But anyways, the point being is that you know they do that, then they're like, well, now we got to switch it up you know, and do like a rock album and then switch it up again. And, you know, it made me think of bands that are sort of, you know, they go on for, they go on for a while and they have the creative drive to do something different, but that's not always good. Because I'm always thinking about this, bands who are like, well, we got to do something different. They do something different but they kind of lose what made them really good in the first place. Right. I mean, think of like the REM song you like the most. Is it like a hard rock song? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's true. You you are you are bringing up a very good point. It's like this kind of back to basics. We're we're going to be this this band with a lot of, you know, like I don't know, like gumshit or like just like this like this girth in the guitars. Well, but like that's not they were a very light well, the other trying thing, to think of the words. Like but no, but the other thing too is that like Michael not Stipe was, is yeah. not an aggressive singer. No. And like there They're were not t- an aggressive there were, band. No, but there were times on this album that like and in this like in this interview, it's like Peter Buck talks like he wants to be in an aggressive band and the guitar sound that he's got in a lot of the songs is an aggressive guitar sound, but they're not aggressive songs. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got Mike Mills and uh, Mike Mills is probably one of the least aggressive looking acting sounding <laughs> being rock stars Michael Stipe in too. the history of America. Yeah. Michael Stipe. He's got you know, moves, but you know, he's, he's got like, moves and he can be, he can have a low menacing thing <laughs> that he's deployed, but generally his vibe, both lyrically and like, um, like the vibe he gives off is not one of like menace and aggression. It's, I feel like there's an implication they're making. If you sort of read between the lines where they say, because first of all, there's this like return to form, return to form. It's like, how many times uh, have you heard? Cause it's like, and I've even seen where the same band has had like three flops in a row, and every time it's like, oh, well, this one is a return to form. It's a flop, and then they say, well, this is the return to form. <laughs> it's like you said that about the last album. Can't say that every time. Weezer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's interesting. <laughs> like, but well, and then my point yeah, was yeah. going to be that it's like so as you said, and I have never, I can't even probably you could play a 
fast tempo REM song in it that I would recognize, but I can't off the top of my head even think of one. Every single one I can think of is slow or medium tempo. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like what they're really saying is old REM, young REM, and then relating youngness with aggression for some reason. And it's because it seems like it's the only way I can draw, connect the dots to make this return to form REM album a aggressive album well, well no but i think i know what you mean but it's also interesting that you know i was reading that article and i was like they were all near 50 at this time and i'm yeah. not saying 50 year olds can't rock because i know a lot do but like it's it's and even when you're saying return to form i don't think that's a quote from the article but that is the gist of the article and what but it, you, you kind of call into question well what is the form like some bands, and I, I feel like R.E.M. could have or should have been this band. They should have just, like, if they when they played around with electronics or stuff, like after Bill, because right. you mentioned Bill Berry leaving. Yeah. And one effect that might have had was we were like, well, let's use a drum machine or something. Yeah. That's but it's what like they don't really need that. Like they could have been a band, you know, um, who just like writes songs, like just yeah. write good songs but at the same time you're never going to be as big like once you if you're a band that writes good songs you get huge and then it's just more of the same and yeah. you will stop being the new exciting thing at some point of course i but mean when they toured this record i remember they came to the amphitheater i mean these guys were not playing small venues they they came and toured this record at a big venue but they so, were always a big band, and they were always a band worth going to see. Sure, um, it's not like they had failed at all. Like they had, like everybody kept coming. They just weren't like on the tips of everyone's tongue. Like their sure. new albums didn't inspire no massive stuff. And well, that's just being an older band. Old I mean, like bits. how like I mean, these guys had just it, no one had a career that these guys had. They started in 1980. Like I mean, they had their first record in '83. They went all the way up. Had this string of incredible records. In 1996, I did not know this before I read this article. Number one, they said they've sold 50 million records, which I can completely understand, but I really didn't fathom until I read this. Number two, that they reportedly in 1996 re-signed to the label for $80 million. Wow. Yeah. And that would have been I when they that. released Adventures in Hi-Fi, which was like, okay. By that point, they're already such a commodity. But I was like, oh, my God. Like, you just think of the money in the 90s. Yeah, like, just getting signed. But well, holy they, shit. I mean, for Warner Brothers, they had Green, yeah. Out of Time, Automatic for the People, and then Monster. Yes. Warner Brothers was probably just like, please make albums for us for life. Yeah. Like, they made, they probably made Warner Brothers, like, Eighty million dollars. Oh my in that god! Yeah, that must have been just a throwaway for them at that point. A lot of people would continue buying records based purely on the strength of the name REM. I'm I sure. think so. I don't think they ever. I mean, yeah, we can like throw names like the Smashing Pumpkins and Weezer out, where people kind of stuck with them. But now you're really like, oh god, we really see that this is taken. <laughs> I don't think that REM ever made something that was like so deplorable yeah. that like yeah, I never heard anyone like, like I remember their like later albums. Like I, you know, I was a you know, they were one of my favorite bands and then, you know, teenage years hit and it was funny because, you know, through my middle school years, it was like there was U2 and then there was R.E.M. Right. 
And, you know, beginning of high school, when I kind of started discovering indie rock and other stuff, you know, Sonic Youth Pavement, I dropped U2 like rock. They yeah. were just <laughs> kicked to the curb. But R.E.M., I kept listening to a couple of the early albums. And I kind of stopped listening to a lot of the later stuff, or at least at that time. Like, I didn't buy New Adventures of Hi-Fi, although um, a friend of mine did and said it was like his favorite R.E.M. record. And Okay. But I kind of stopped buying their records. And I remember, you know, whenever one would come out, they'd be, they'd kind of be like, oh, no, it's okay. And there'd be reviews and Pitchfork would be like, nah, it's fine. Yeah. And like, but no, no one, one was ever, no one was ever bad. like, oh, REM is no, embarrassing. Yeah. There was never any sense that they were embarrassing themselves no, or no, anything no. like that. But I mean, I mean, I can understand like Peter Buck's frustration. Sure. But, um, but I mean, this is like the, I mean, this article really is. This is the, this is the Wikipedia retrospective of their career. This is the 2008 REM. They did one record after this, and then they were done. And literally, just because they're like, how much longer can we do this? There's no animosity here. It's like we've done this for yeah. like pretty much 30 years, and yeah. now we're over 30 years. We're good, like and and you're good. Yeah. Like we don't need to keep doing this. How many more records do you want? How much do we want to do this? These guys are you know, pushing 60 at this point. So I get it. Well, they managed to, I think, in like the early uh, 90s, kind of hit this niche of like great songs and recorded in a way that could go mainstream. Um, You know, they weren't, they were both interesting and artistic, but also um nice sounding yeah if that's a way i can put it where like you know so like sure no um although i did so i don't know if i should go back to my assertion that monster hasn't aged well i did listen to that for the first time in a long time uh, the other day yeah and uh but that basically goes back to me for some of the like there's stuff on there that doesn't really like there's one song that feels like kind of a weak ass queens of the stone age Okay. Like it's like we're gonna rock, and you're okay. like, no, just no, don't. <laughs> like even, like the best songs on that are like uh, like things like Strange Currencies. They're just classic REM songs. Do you think Strange Currencies? I was just gonna bring this up. Do you think that's kind of a them just try? They were just trying to do um, Everybody Hurts Again. No, I don't think it was them doing it again. I think it was just that that's the type of song they really they, they, good at doing. Writing, yeah. I okay. mean. What's the frequency? Kenneth is like a fun song, oh, but that's it's the also one I know. Yeah. But that's the thing. But that's like, like the fastest one I know. And that's <laughs> the thing. It's not an aggressive song. No, like it's, it's not. got some loud sounding guitars. It's got the weird reverse solo. Yeah. But it's like, it's not. You listen to that. No one would call that a hard rock song. No. But there are a couple of tracks. I can't remember their names. But like, there's yeah, like, like I said, there's one that sounds like it's just a different band. Yeah. Or like. And then they've got kind of Let Me In, which is sort of the, um, uh, like, Kurt Cobain sort of tribute song. And it's, like, really, really loud guitars. And it's just sort of, uh, like, you listen to it now, and it's, it's like the guitars just aren't, what am I trying to say here? Like, it just doesn't really hold up as a song. And maybe if it had been, you know, like, it just felt... And this is, I think this is part of my reaction to this uh, article is that Monster felt like they were using, they were using electric guitars 
simply because they hadn't in the last album. Right, okay. Or they hadn't in a long time. Not because it was the best thing for the song. Yeah. Or not because it was the best choice for them to do, but it was what they wanted to do. And I get that exact same vibe here where it's like, you know, I sympathize with Peter Buck where he's like, well, I didn't enjoy that last record. So now let's, let's really rock. Yeah. But are you doing it because you want to do it? And, and yeah. when I think of Monster, there's a few songs where it's like, you're trying to do something different. You're trying to like react mm-hmm. to something else. And I'm sure right. people you young again. Not well, even I'm that, not but just that like I, I would just I, I agree with what John saying. Like, yeah, you're just kind of react. Like you, you know, you're you're tired of doing the same thing, and you want to just try something else. But maybe it's just out of your wheelhouse, and it just doesn't work for you. And it's like I think the big thing is, is sort of vibe. Like, there's a couple of like when I when I reference the songs that I don't think have aged well, they just don't feel like REM songs, you know. Um, whereas some bands were. The bands who try to do something different successfully will do something different, but will maintain the, a similar emotional core or vibe where you're like, oh, you know, um, this is different instrumentation, but it I'm getting the same feeling from it. Right. Whereas uh, when bands try to do something different and it absolutely does not work, right. it's when you're not getting the same feeling. Sure. <laughs> Here's the last thing as always. Who's number one in the charts? I picked April 1st, April Fool's Day, April 1st, 2008. Who's number one in the charts? This is <laughs> kind of what I've been waiting for, where I practically know no one on this, and I feel actually really embarrassed because I was 28 years old. I should have known this, but at the same time, I can't believe I was this buried in indie rock and punk or whatever the hell I was into and didn't know anything but i have been waiting for this particular list because there's something on this that i've been waiting to talk about (laughs) okay i i'm not even gonna let you guess this is like fucking pointless because (laughs) you're not gonna get anyone number five this is probably one of the most uh boring artists in my opinion um sleep through the static jack johnson oh oh i've heard of him yeah i know him he's like the king of acoustic guitar on the beach. Yeah, exactly. He's the surf king. He's, you know, following the steps of stoners who like Sublime and... Um, and and who like pulling out acoustic guitars at parties. Exactly. Yeah. Just play Jack Johnson songs. And like Ben Harper fans. I don't have anything against Ben Harper, but you know, Ben Harper fans, I... I fuck them. Um, <laughs> okay. Number four. Mail on Sunday. Flowrida. Low rider, wow. Yeah. This is going to be a boring ass. <laughs> There's going to be almost no reactions here. This guy's huge, and he was good. I respect him, but again, I'm not into his stuff. Trilla by Rick Ross. Right. Some dirty Seth. I'm getting absolutely no reactions yeah. I'm here. I'm trying this to like YouTube so fucking things. stupid. Yeah. But okay, this is, what, this is what I've been kind of waiting for. Number two on the Billboard charts. These are albums. Number two on the charts. This has been since the 90s. If one of these comes out, it is number one on the charts. Right now, it's number two. I guarantee this went to number one. And it never... Okay. I bet can, I can you get it? 
Can you guess what is, I'm talking is, is about? Is it a compilation? It is. It's one of like, now that's what I call music? Now. Now, okay, yeah, yeah. Now 27, various yeah. artists. Yeah. If they release one of these CDs, it's number one every time. Okay, so now is it's released by Sony Music. So bravo to them. That's got to be what's keeping the lights on over there. <laughs> well, or at least it was keeping the lights on in 2008. Yeah, it's true. Like, I mean, this must have been the absolute last gas. I'm not going to look up how many nows they put out, but it, you know, until we got actual streaming services where all it is is playlists. It never underestimate the power of a playlist. And I swear, growing up, it's true. Anything we did, there was a ton of punk compilations that we all bought those punk compilations, those whatever punkorama or mm. fat music for fat people or punk bites or all fat these things that were fat people. All these, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the fat the records, <laughs> fat mic comp. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to think that they're not still putting out now CDs. I've now got the Wikipedia hey for man. now 2008. So we can see. So it's the Veronica's The Last Good Night. But it's a Pictures of You. Is that a Cure cover? Yeah. The Pot Bellies, Kylie Minogue, Simple Plan. What are the dads up to tonight? <laughs> Reading off this shit that we don't know what the fuck it is. Uh, Ida Core versus Freddie Legrand, Faker, Loopy Fiasco, Missy just, Higgins. Just stop, Nat. Just stop. Silver Chair, but that's where I'll stop. What? I, I don't know. Yeah. Silver Chair? Oh, Hot Chip, Moby, okay. Seal, David Guetta. What? Yeah, this is that is a yeah okay. So wait, was that number one? You're saying that was the number one album? No. Okay, well then let's. I'll tell you what the number one album is. I can't wait for you guys to not guess this. <laughs> Welcome to the Dollhouse, Danica Kane. I've never even heard of it. Yeah, I looked this up last night. Like, not a clue. My wife somewhat knew it. That's all I got. And that's it. Wow, that was kind of a. Um, Kind of a dark ending. <laughs> it's weird because, like, it's but weird because where was I at? I, I, I was listening to No did, Age. No, but I remember like we did like '99 or something, and mm -hmm. that one was like, oh yeah, like it, it's it's weird how I feel like I'd have a better chance of getting like you know '99 to 2001 or something because mm -hmm. that was that, that was when like, I well I well I, I mean like, like, that's when we were like like much music and everything. I was working at Zellers in the electronics department. Ah. So I was selling a lot of like, yeah. you know, I was like, who is this JZ? <laughs> uh, how Canadian. Who is this JZ? Um, but then it's weird how it's like, like it, I wasn't purposefully avoiding things. Like I'd like to think that by 2008, I wasn't, like, I feel like when I was 20, I would have been more likely to be like, uh, the mainstream, blah, except that I was constantly exposed to it yeah. all. Whereas in 2008, I wasn't purposefully yeah, being, was so like, avoiding stuff. That point that well, that's but the thing. But it's also, like, but well, the other thing, too, is that um, I feel like if you go through, when I think of some of the top hits of, like, 99, 2000, 2001. They're all people who are still around or were massive artists that had a ton of hits. I think there was just like, there was not as much room to explore. I mean, like we've spent this entire episode like talking about Bandcamp and all these platforms to just discover music and really get away from the mainstream if you just don't want to be in it. And I mean, 
the entire 2000s, I was not listening to the radio. And if I was, I certainly wasn't listening to pop radio. I wasn't ever like, I mean, you watch much music when we were younger. There was like this, you know, like very, like whatever they were playing, you were watching. So you could get Notorious B.I.G. or you could get like Supergrass. You could get anyone on there. I think we've just branched out so far at this point in 2008 that we were just really not paying attention well, to no, that. But when it's not were... just about us, but that's making it about us. I know it's making and it about us. I don't think us. it's about us. I think it's also like I listened to that that list and I'm like, did any of those people have any other hits? Or like, are they still recording music? Whereas like, you know, uh, we did one where the top song was Christina Aguilera. Well, we know who that is, and she's still like yeah. an actual relevant person, sure. like in the music industry. Whereas it'd be interesting to kind of, you know, like I've I'm, I've got to wondering is was there a phase where it was like, you know, the charts were dominated by just like oh here's someone and now they're gone, here's someone and now they're gone, sure. here's someone and now they're gone, where. Um, this mainstream pop was more um, was being made by when I say people who were disposable, I mean, that's uh, that was the labels attitude towards them. Uh, I think that was always around. I think it was always 50 50. Like when I really start thinking about that statement, there was always like some one hitter. And then there was always people who got like a string of like five, like great hits. Well, obviously the bias like, here is that, maybe um, we're more likely to remember the one-hit wonders, the Eiffel 65 sure. of, like, you know, when we were 20 than yeah. when we were 28. And, I mean, maybe that was just our environment, too. You would just, like, ended up being forced to go out to some club when you were 20 because yeah. your friends were doing it and you heard Eiffel 65. I was not being forced to do any of that when I was 28 years yeah. old and listening to this stuff. There was a, so much great music coming out of that time 2008 was a, a really good uh, period for sure and yeah. yet i didn't know a single song i know in the top 10 so it, i know it's but you know what I'm, i was not listening to yeah. virgin radio apparently yeah, yeah, i was listening exactly. to no age and that's it for spin april 2008 i just want to remind everyone that we have spotify playlists available for all the episodes and we've got instagram and twitter so if you want to follow us to keep updated on episodes and cool pictures and stuff that we post subscribe Thank you. Everybody hurts.